Hello and welcome to A Beautiful Pod, the show where we have terrible football opinions so you don't have to. I'm Alex Towles and this week I'm joined by Alex West. Hey, I'm Alex West and you can follow me on Twitter at AGWestie with an IE. And Harry Dennis. Hi, I'm Harry. You can't find me on Twitter, but you can find me at the Sports Blitz on WordPress.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Alex Towels or our URY overlords at URY Sports or the main URY account at URY1350. This week we're looking at our surprise packages of the season. The teams that looked at our expectations for them scoffed and went in the complete opposite direction. And I just wanted to start with having a quick chat about Sheffield United. They're a bit too much of an obvious pick, so I didn't want any of you guys to take them and basically get let off with the research. So I thought I'd quickly acknowledge them at the start, and we could have a quick chat about them at the start, and then move on to a couple more interesting discussions that aren't being had by literally everyone, because everyone was surprised by Sheffield United. Because United were expected to finish rock bottom of the Premier League, I think it's fair to say. Most people predicted them to finish at least in the relegation zone. I think I predicted them to finish either 17th or 18th, I can't remember now. So everyone really thought that they were going to be going down this year. Nobody thought that they had enough to stay up. And everyone's been roundly proven wrong by a team that now find themselves sat 7th in the league. So it's interesting to see that they have managed to prove everyone wrong in such emphatic fashion by competing for a Europa League place where people thought that they would be down in the relegation zone. And I think there's something to be said for how much of their squad they've kept around and the fact that not many moves were made in the transfer market by Chris Wilder or the Sheffield board. They brought in a couple of quick names to shore some things up. Lise Mousset sticks out as an example. Uh, Sander Berger in January sticking out as well as two people they brought in just as reinforcements. And those players have done well. Lise Mousset was a bench warmer at Bournemouth, but has been effective as a pressuring striker and an outlet for Sheffield when they're a bit under the cosh at the back. And... Their defence has been really what's done it for them. Dean Henderson, on loan again from Manchester United, has been imperious in their net, as well as a back line, a back three or back five, depending on how you look at it, that has been incredible. They get plaudits for the way they move forward with the overlapping centre-backs that have been mentioned time and time again. But really, it's the defensive work which has shown that they have the Premier League quality with those three centre-backs and Dean Henderson behind them, doing a really great job of keeping out some of the world's best attacks. And doing the basics well like that is what really has provided Sheffield with the baseline to go on and prove so many of their doubters wrong in this, their first Premier League season. Harry, what do you think of the steps they've made and how they performed in the league this year? I think they've basically done the basics and they've done them well. And there's one thing we look at the Premier League and there's so many attempts by teams to play sort of fancy football. And it's not fancy, fancy football, you know, Pep Guardiola-esque, but when West Ham brought in Manuel Pellegrini, they were hoping that they could play this really expansive 
style of football, which, you know, could take them into Europe. However, they always come up trumps against someone like Sean Dyche for Burnley. And the Premier League has a nasty habit of biting your rear end if you don't do basic physical football right. And Sheffield have done that and they've done it perfectly, which is why they're in the top six currently. Um, or at least the top seven, I'd have to check again. But um, it's it's why they're looking like they could end up in a European spot at the moment because they've just done it right. And um, I mean, my player of the season there would be Dean Henderson. When we did our our team of the season so far, I think Henderson has actually been better than Allison. Um, so Sheffield have impressed me on many levels, um, even from when we played them back in August, early September. Yeah, Sheffield are currently seventh in the league um, when play was paused for the coronavirus outbreak. Level on points and with a game in hand on Wolves above them in sixth. So they could clearly climb further up the table. Um, Alex West, what are your thoughts on the Sheffield United season so far? I think they've been exceptional so far. I think uh, it would have been interesting to see how the rest of the season had panned out if a certain global pandemic hadn't happened because obviously Sheffield United, one of their weaknesses would have been their squad depth and things like injuries might have uh, bitten them later on. They might not have been able to to wrap up that European spot. But, I mean, having said that, they were well on course to. I think it's been a phenomenal season. Uh, Chris Wilder's team have really, I think, actually, in a way, this is probably the most exciting team for me since Leicester in the sense that they are a team who didn't really have any stars. Obviously, Leicester had players like Kante, Mares, and Vardy, which probably took them to the next level. But they're a team that have done the basics well. They're a really organised unit. They're brilliant defensively, but they've also got a clear attacking strategy as well. They're a well-balanced team in that they expect goals from midfield as well as up front. And I think, yeah, I think it's been a fantastic season for them um, without as well overreaching in terms of investment, which I think is something that, you know, all Premier League teams should be looking at and seeing Sheffield United really, regardless of playing style that they want to adopt, as a model in terms of business too, that actually you don't need to invest millions of pounds necessarily into a team. It's a bit like Reading were a few seasons ago when they finished eighth with, without spending much too. If you invest sensibly and you build a team to a certain style and you build it sustainably, you can still have success in the Premier League. And I think that's a really important lesson for teams to learn. You don't have to go out and spend all these millions and billions of pounds on stars. Uh, Focus on your strategy and focus on building an identity and that will see you right rather than throwing money at a problem. But we're not just here to talk about Sheffield, despite how much they surprised everyone with their performance this season. Harry, you want to talk to us about your own team, Chelsea, that have turned heads with how well they've done under Frank Lampard in his first season in charge. What has he done that's helped you to surpass expectations? I mean, coming into the season, I think people have to consider what what the state of play was at the, at the pre-season uh, what, what was going on. We'd lost Eden Hazard to Real Madrid, but everyone knew that was going to happen, um, 400 and so million. Um, and obviously with the transfer ban, other than the confirmation of Mateo Kovacic on a full deal uh, rather than just a loan deal, and Christian Pulisic um, coming to Chelsea from his six-month loan um, after his transfer from Borussia Dortmund, it was not looking good uh, with an ageing squad, 
Um, not much freshness in it. Um, just basically a worse version of last year's squad. Um, but with Frank Lampard at the helm, I think fans were optimistic of uh, some changes. And at the beginning of the season, and even before, I think most people were saying, well, isn't this the opportunity for the entire youth academy to show us what they've got at last? And, I mean, we're in fourth. Where did that come from? Yeah, I mean, Lampard basically got a uh, free shot in this first season of his tenure at Chelsea. What with the transfer ban and everything, as you said. But everyone was really expecting you to be fighting out for a Europa League spot, perhaps in the 6th or 7th position that Sheffield United now occupy that we were talking about earlier. But you're in 4th, you are 3 points ahead of Manchester United, and then a further 3 points ahead of... No, a further 2 points ahead of Wolves in 6th. So that's pretty secure. But what... What do you think has been the main driving force behind Chelsea moving from every moving from everyone thought they would be as Europa League contenders to Champions League contenders this season? I think originally when we started the season and uh, we brought in some of the young players into the squad, things had not quite gelled yet, and maybe just a routine had not quite been found uh, in the side. Um, so I've written down a couple of performances which, you know, I think earmarked that sort of change of the guard, sort of where players have come in and they've had a performance and people have turned heads and gone, oh, OK, they're actually at the centre of this team now. And maybe those performances have adjusted the style of the team and they now play more akin to how that player can perform rather than just sticking them in the team and hoping that they perform. So the first time Chelsea really showed promise was away at Norwich. Uh, and that was back in August, and I think that was our second or third game. Remember, we lost 4-0 away at Old Trafford on the opening day of the season, or second day of the season. Um, and now, obviously, our defence has been a bit questionable at times, but it was that performance at Norwich um, where Tammy Abraham and Mason Mount uh, finally established themselves uh, with two very, very good performances. Um, and that was backed up a couple of weeks later, it might have been actually the following week, with a 5-2 win away at Wolves, a team which, you know, people were going, they could be challenging for top four now because they're just that good a team. Um, However, uh, you know, the problem I've noticed with all the games where we've played well is we keep conceding goals and that's not really been uh, edged out of the team, uh, you know, out of the team's performances until really recently. Um, But I've written down some names of some players I'm just going to throw in the in the pot here um, that I think have just been impressive and changed the dynamic of the team. So Abraham Mount, uh, Fikaro Tomori, who really sort of established himself in that Wolves game with that goal, which he scored from about 30 yards out. Uh, Reese James, who I think could be one of the best right backs in the league, um, competing with the likes of Wambasaka, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Bellerin and co. Um, Billy Gilmore, obviously the latest of uh, the Chelsea Academy stars to sort of join the ranks properly after Jorginho's suspension. He came in in a 2-0 win in the FA Cup against Liverpool, uh, got got man of the match. Lampard then put him in against Everton uh, the following Sunday uh, and Chelsea won, I think, 4-0 at home and Gilmore was man of the match again. Um, One player who often gets written off, though, actually, is Christian Pulisic 
who's not an academy player, but of the same age. Um, he didn't really filter in until about November time. But when he did, he was one of the top scoring players in the league. Uh, and unfortunately, he's been ruled out through, I think, a fire injury recently. Um, but, you know, he's another player which... Uh, uh, sorry, his tiredness, I think, at the beginning of the season due to a heavy preseason with the uh, the American national team was probably why he wasn't playing. But when he came in as well, you suddenly had a load of players there who are young and performing at a level beyond uh, most players that were established not only in the team, but in the opposition teams, um, which is good to see. I mean, that could be some shock factor. We have to be sceptical and say, you know, these players had not been watched enough by oppositions in, you know, good quality performances. Therefore, they're always going to be a bit of a surprise. You know, their biggest test will be next season, second season syndrome sort of thing, where people know what they can do. Yeah, I think the game where Pulisic really announced himself to the Chelsea fan base was that game in October against Burnley where he scored a perfect hat-trick, one with his right foot, one with his left foot, one with his head. Yeah. And he completely dominated that Burnley team. But... You've also got their Callum Hudson-Odoi, who perhaps hasn't been getting as much game time as people would have expected. He's been struggling with injuries of late. What do you think his next step should be? Why? What can he do to force himself into this Chelsea starting eleven? Well, quite frankly, he will be in the Chelsea starting eleven next season on the basis of the fact that Willian has not been offered a new. Well, he's been offered a new contract, but. Chelsea rules uh, in in the club say you don't offer a player over the age of 30 a contract longer than a year, which I think is stupid because I think William, you know, really should get one two years. Um, and Pedro also out of contract at the end of this season. Um, now, there could be some miracle that they end up signing a contract just because nobody's going to be able to buy anybody and clubs just scramble to keep the players that they've got at least. However... Um, if both those players are to leave, which is what is expected, you're looking at um, two natural wingers, in my mind, at the club, in Hudson-Odoi and uh, Christian Pulisic, and then two players who can play on the wings um, but are not natural wingers, in Ross Barkley and Mason Mount. Mount did play quite well on the left, actually, at the beginning of the season, and Barkley has done on occasion two because they're both um, forward-thinking midfielders at a narrow, compact stadium like Stamford Bridge, playing a centre midfielder on the left-hand side or the right-hand side really doesn't make much of a difference in my mind. Um, but yes, if Hudson-Doy can stay well, because obviously he was one of the first players to contract coronavirus back in March, I think, um, and fit in injury sense, yeah, he should be a starting player. Uh, come whenever the season uh, restarts and returns for the next season. As much as Chelsea have received plaudits for the young players coming through there, that's not the only contributing factor to their Champions League current, well, their current position in the league as a Champions League team. You can't ignore the outside factors of the teams that you thought might be competing for that fourth spot, just haven't been there over the course of the season. I'm talking Spurs, I'm talking maybe Arsenal, but 
Man- Manchester United are in and around that discussion, but it's mainly Spurs who have been the big drop-off this season. How much do you think Chelsea's season has been affected by the form of the teams that were expected to be competing with them for that Champions League spot? Um, I mean, I totally agree. You, you have to admit Tottenham have had, had a terrible season, which is completely unexpected. Nobody expected Pochettino to, to be sacked, um, let alone leave the club. Um, and uh, I mean, thinking about it, you might say Manchester United and Tottenham, you probably expected to perform better this season, especially after getting a 4-0 drumming in the first game of the season. Um but, you know, when Chelsea have played Tottenham, I'm trying to think when it was, but uh, for the first fixture, or maybe that was the first fixture, but it was when Chelsea played away at uh, Tottenham. It was one of Mourinho's first few games and Chelsea beat them. I and mean, it was a star performance by Willian. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think with the Tottenham thing, they've they've been poor. Maybe, maybe a gap has opened up for Chelsea to take, but... You can't argue that if Chelsea were playing as badly as people expect them to be, they wouldn't have had that opportunity anyway. So if they've taken the opportunity, which is better than most teams can say. You'd say, you know, if Tottenham were to drop off, or maybe Arsenal or Man United would pick up those spots. But they haven't. It's been the team nobody expected to be taking that spot out of a top six. You know, the, sorry. Yeah, a top six. The three teams that you'd expect to pick up that Tottenham spot, really. The chasing of the top six. Yeah, you're right to say that Chelsea have done well to pick up the slack left behind by Tottenham and get themselves into the top four, despite the disadvantages of the transfer ban and their arguably inexperienced squad. Alex, what have you made of their season so far? Um, I think they've been uh, good. I think Frank Lampard has done a better job than many people thought he would do. I really enjoy how they finally seem to have turned to youth. And I think it's probably been a long time overdue, that approach. I think Frank Lampard was the perfect fit, you know, bearing that in mind. The players they had coming through, Callum Hudson-Odoi, uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, who was obviously spent a lot of time injured, but, uh, you know, when he has played, has looked great. And Tammy Abraham, um, and then players like Fikai Tamori as well. Um, and yeah, as you mentioned, Harry, signings they brought in as well that are a bit younger too. Christian Pulisic, he's, he's shown real... Uh, faith in in Chelsea's youth, which has been fantastic to see. Um, I think they're very much a work in progress. I think they will need investment um, over summer, depending on obviously what happens. Um, I also think that they're probably not really even quite sort of a few signings off a title. I think they're quite a way off that sort of performance. And I think they have been helped by the fact that other teams this season have suffered. Tottenham obviously going through a transitionary period. Arsenal the same. Um, and Manchester United too. So I think, yeah, they're probably the best of of that bunch of teams that have suffered or been sort of up and down for the last few years and are now coming good. Um, And really, they've just been overshadowed this season by Liverpool and Man City, who I think are still miles ahead of of where Chelsea are at, to be honest. And like I said, it'll take more than just a summer of investment to get Chelsea to that level, because we're talking infrastructure and, and the whole sort of ethos of Liverpool and Man City now seems to be everything about them is just a bit more advanced and a bit more professional than any other club in the Prem. Um and yeah, and and a Leicester team that have done have done really well and, and fired above where people were expecting them to be too. So I think I would give Chelsea an eight out of ten if I had to give them a rating for this season. I think they've been great. Um could be better, but with the resources they have, Frank Lampard has done a fantastic job. 
you're right to say there, I think, that Liverpool and Manchester City are head and shoulders above the rest of the league for the minute. So I don't think that next Chelsea's next steps next season will be to immediately look to compete with them. I think that's a step too far. Uh, but I think what they can do is cement their position as perhaps the third best team in the league, cement their position in a Champions League spot. And so, Harry, I want to know, for Chelsea, who would you bring in? Who would be your one statement signing to cement Chelsea's place as a Champions League team next season? It is the million-dollar question, because if I could tell you that, you'd be going, why aren't Chelsea doing that? I mean... I actually forgot earlier when we were talking about Hudson and Doyle, Ziek is coming in next season, so we're going to have another winger. Um, although he might play more centrally anyway. Um, I think when you look at it, I think Chelsea has to be realistic and say their one weakness is defence. We do concede too many goals, um, and therefore we have to think about um, investing in some star centre back to really pair up with. Rudiger, um, because as much as Zuma, uh, Tamori, and arguably Christensen are all good defenders, we need two very good centre backs if we really want to compete at the top levels. Um, I think the names that are bouncing around at the minute are Rugani uh, from Juventus, maybe even Delict if he's unhappy. Um, but I think you know. You could list many centre-backs, the Leipzig centre-backs or the Dortmund centre-backs in particular. So um, there are many out there that people are looking at, um, but that would be, I'd be targeting a centre-back, I believe. I was surprised there, actually. I thought you'd be looking across at Leicester and Ben Chilwell. Uh, Yeah, I mean, arguably, yeah, left-back is probably more essential given our lack of depth or, you know, a lack of strength there, actually. So that's me being very, very weirdly forgetful. Um, yeah, probably Ben Chilwell would actually be the star signing because he is that big name already um, in England. And I do think he would be... Well, Alex Tellers, I think, is already signed to PSG. Isn't, it's not official, but it's one of those sort of it's-almost-done deals. Um but I've, the reason why, it's the same with a couple of teams, actually. Is I think what they need is a marquee signing. They need it to do well, obviously. But a signing, people go, yes, our club means business. We've bought, I think the names that people shout about at the moment are Declan Rice, Ben Chilwell, Jaden Sancho, um, some of the Dutch stars. Those sorts of players that are big upcoming names that people really want to dominate their team. Uh, performances for quite a while to come a replacement for Eden Hazard is probably what Chelsea are still looking for arguably but um, yeah I think to be practical Chelsea need to upgrade their defence I think talking of Eden Hazard he's a almost impossible player to replace because really he was two players in one for you he was your most creative player and your biggest goal threat at the same time. So I think you've replaced his creative output efficiently, both with Callum Hudson-Odoi coming through, as well as Christian Pulisic and Mason Mount. But I think as a goal threat is where perhaps Hazard 
has not quite been replaced. And I look at the striking options at Chelsea, and while Tammy Abraham is great, and everyone knows that I am a massive proponent of Tammy Abraham's talents, um, Giroud, while he may stick around for another year, that's still up in the air, as we talked about earlier. And Bashwai doesn't seem to be in favour at Chelsea. So would you be looking to, under the assumption that both Giroud and Batshuayi aren't exactly what Frank Lampard is looking for in a striker, would you be looking for anyone to bring in to compete with Abraham for the number nine spot? I think, just going back on your creativity bit, I think the other thing we have to remember is Hakim Ziyech is meant to be this player that plays very similar to an Eden Hazard role, um, cutting in quite a bit from the right-hand side rather than the left, um, admittedly. Um, but scoring more goals from range, which actually could be something that helps Chelsea, given the fact that they keep managing to get into the six-yard area and mucking things up by having one extra pass. Maybe a player who just doesn't mind shooting from distance and can do it well would be a good addition. Um, Striker-wise, yes, I think Batshuayi, as much as I actually think he's a very good striker, um, he's just never really... He's never really got going at Chelsea. Um Giroud is one of those strikers. You don't find many of them, but they just apply their trade very well wherever they go in the prem- where they go in the Premier League. And I think if he went to any other Premier League team, he would do just as well as he could. Um, I think the striker that Lampard's looking for is basically a Drogba-esque approach because he is playing a very similar system to what was played under Ancelotti, Mourinho, the sort of four-two-three-one formation. Um, which re- which relied heavily at the time on quite a fast, pacey, strong and aggressive striker. That's what Didier was. And Tammy Abraham does have that and he's pacey, he's tall, he's strong, he's powerful. But I think what Lampard's looking for is another striker to compete with that. Which is why Moussa Dembele from Lyon's been linked so many times with Chelsea. I don't think Moussa Dembele would be the right man to look for if you're looking for a Drogba replacement. Drogba, in my eyes, was a scorer of great goals, but not necessarily a great goal scorer. Drogba, what made him amazing was his support play and the way that he brings players in, almost similar to Olivier Giroud in that sense. So I think there are two options in the Premier League that you could look at that that are perhaps unfavoured by the fan bases that they currently play for, that would be ideal players to come in as support strikers that lead the line, but really what they do is they allow the players in behind them to play off and be the real goal-scoring threats. And those two are Seb Allaire at West Ham and Joel Linton at Newcastle. Let me explain the hottest take that I will perhaps have on this show today with Joel Linton. Joel Linton, when he was playing for Hoffenheim, was a great player. Right, I don't think anyone can doubt that. When he's come in at Newcastle, he has struggled, but I don't think that's because he's a bad footballer, and I don't think it's because he's unsuited to the Premier League. I think it's because when Newcastle signed him, they were expecting a statement striker who's going to score them 20 goals. And that's not what Jolinton is. That's not his game. He's a support player. He's someone that you play off of. He's someone that creates. He gets assists. Yeah, so he's a similar st- style of player to Bobby Firmino. And similar to Giroud in that sense as well, in that he's what's he, what his skill is 
is supporting the other attacking players around him and bringing them into goal-scoring positions. So I think if you're looking for a replacement for Giroud or looking back further, a replacement for Drogba, Joel Linton, who Newcastle fans don't like and don't want, would be a great pickup for Chelsea if they could get him on the cheap because people want him out. I think someone that can come in and just play and allow and bring in hudson Adoy, bring in Pulisic, bring in Ziyech, bring in Barkley to just be the goal-scoring threats that they can be from behind that leading man. I think he'd be a great pickup for Chelsea. I think, uh, I'll be honest, I, I haven't seen enough of Joel Linton to make a judgment call, um, to be quite honest with you. Uh, from what I've, From what I've heard, I do agree with you Alex in the sense that he's never really been an out-and-out goal scorer and it's more about what he brings to a team I think his record's never been that of a goal scorer you know even in his last seasons in the Bundesliga he still wasn't banging the goals in but I think also um, I think it may be a case of as well of a player being bought for one system and then being utilized in another in a very different way Um, and I think that's what's happened at Newcastle and I think yeah I think he's someone that he's someone that could be, uh, I think for me, a, a solid player for a mid-table Premier League team. But I think, you know, even Roberto Firmino, when he wasn't at Liverpool, the teams he was playing for, he was still undoubtedly one of the best players, even when he wasn't scoring goals. For Joel Linton, okay, he might be misutilised at Newcastle, but for me, I haven't seen, from what I can glean, obviously, like I said, I haven't seen him enough to make a full judgment call, but from what I can glean, I don't think... He's quite got that edge of quality which would make him good enough for Chelsea. I agree that he might be what they need in terms of style of player, but I don't think he's quite good enough. But again, I could be wrong. I haven't seen enough of him. Under Steve Bruce at Newcastle, Joel Linton will never be the player that he promised to be at Hoffenheim. Agreed. I think a move to Chelsea, while probably won't happen, I'm not saying this is going to happen. I'm saying that if it did happen, it wouldn't be bad in my opinion. But if it did happen, I think working as a backup to Tammy Abraham, an alternative option if you want to bring on a more supportive player and bring your other midfield players into the game, I think he'd be a great pickup. I'm not saying he'd start for you. I'm not saying that at all. I think Tammy Abraham is your starting striker. I think he'd just be another option to play a different style and get in your goal-scoring wingers, Pulisic, Hudson-Odoi, Ziyech, and get them more into the centre of pitch with his support play. It's a fair point. It's a very fair point. I mean... I've heard many strikers linked with Chelsea in recent months, Joe Ellington not being one of them. Um, I, it's funny, actually, we were talking about, you know, what style of play Drogba was. It's Diego Costa. It's exactly the same. It's a it's a reasonably quick but powerful striker who can quite often score quite a lot of goals if needed, but quite often it's more there just to, to bring in one of the other players in the team. I think... Costa is a more prolific goalscorer than Drogba ever was, but I don't think he was as talented with his link-up play. Drogba was a phenomenal player. Um, it's funny actually, It's funny that we say this. Maybe then what Chelsea are really looking for is a centre-forward, not a striker. The classic centre-forward. I mean, um, I know people have said Memphis Depay um, has been linked with Chelsea and other teams, but that's not the player we're looking for. He is a centre-forward, but the wrong type of centre-forward. We are really talking about a Firmino sort of style of centre forward. Um, although I do think someone like there's one thing that I think people underrate about Sammy Abraham is I think he does fulfil both roles. He just needs a bit more game time under his belt, a bit more Premier League experience, and that's that's simply it. 
Yeah, I I think Tammy Abraham's link up play is good. I just I think that his skill really lies in his finishing. I think he's a phenomenal finisher. So if you want someone who's main what their main thing that they bring to your team is link up like Giroud, then you're going to want to look somewhere else because Tammy Abraham is a pure finisher. But he's learned a lot from working with Giroud. And while we're talking of Chelsea's youth prospects, the uh, hottest off the press is Billy Gilmore. He's one of those players that will be re- really cursing the uh, coronavirus outbreak, even more than the majority of people who have been cursing the world for this shutdown of everything. Because the way it was looking is that he was going to get a hell of a lot of chances during the back end of the season. Um, as Jorginho was dropping out and being rotated with him. So I think with this outbreak happening, we might not see Billy Gilmore again for a little while. And whether or not you think that's a good thing is up to you, but I think I think he's going to rue his missed chance in the limelight. Yeah, I, I think that's fair enough. I mean, he only got in the team because of Jorginho being suspended and then just well, you did well against Liverpool, why not do well against Everton? But it'd be interesting to see what happens, because he's, he's a different style of player. It's like Phil Foden, and maybe even Mount. It's not really how we naturally see an English footballer play, or a British fo- footballer play, for that matter. I think they're all different midfielders to what you'd expect to see from the traditional British midfielder mould, but I think they're different in different ways. I think... Um, mounts the um, from what I've seen of Gilmore, and feel free to shoot me down here because it's not much. But I think the best comparison to Gilmore in an, from an English perspective is probably Skulls, and then with Mount, I think I think Lampard sees a lot of himself in Mount. I think that's what kind of midfielder Mount is when he plays deep. I think he's that kind of attacking eight who's going to get into the box and get you a lot of goals. Foden's different, I think. Foden. The closest we've seen to Phil Foden is Jack Wilshere before he was crocked. I mean, I'd say Foden's been moulded by Guardiola on David Silva. He's meant to be the homegrown replacement, natural heir to David Silva's throne at Man City. I think that's a brilliant way of doing it, in my mind. Um, The reason why I say Mount, though, is just, you know, Lampard, in his style, was quite a powerful midfielder that I'd compare more to Barkley and Loftus-Cheek whilst Mount is a bit smaller in size and power. Um, and, you know, the reason why we obviously mentioned Gilmore um, in this category, just, and Foden, sorry, is just the fact that we associate British football being a bit more just physical, barge your way through to goal, whilst we associate their style of football with the sort of new era Guardiola-esque, you know, triangles and passing play that we see more in Spain and Italy. Um, rather than Britain and Ireland and Germany, maybe, maybe. So um, that's only, that's the only reason why it seems like a, you know a breath of fresh air for a player to be playing like this and it, and it working so well as well. Let's wrap up this discussion on Chelsea now and take a look at this team more as a whole because we've t- discussed earlier how Liverpool and Manchester City are head and shoulders above the league at the minute. But do you think this Chelsea team, in the way they are built now, has the potential to catch them up? No, it doesn't. I think it would need a fall from grace from the other teams um, and potentially a couple of tweaks and changes to both Liverpool and Man City and Chelsea and any of the other uh, chasing teams, I think, 
looking at Man City's Champions League band, we might see a few exits, but I don't know how many. Um, Liverpool, they're not going to be at the top forever. But I still think, you know, Chelsea's got some core players. We've forgotten to mention people like Cesar Aspilicueta, who I think has been one of the best players there all season, um, who just who bring them all together. But yeah, Chelsea need to bring some players in before we can even think about challenging top two. Okay, and last but most certainly not least, we've got Mr. Alex West, and you are going to be bringing us a discussion about Southampton. So what... They've obviously had a bit of a topsy-turvy season, having a real nadir with that 9-0, was it, lost to Southampton? No, lost to Leicester. 9-0 lost to Leicester. And real highs now with the way that they've risen from those ashes under Ralph Hasenhutl. Uh, What do you think has been the main contributing factor to their success at recovering from their disastrous start to the season? Um, it's an interesting question. I think showing faith in the manager was a key element of that success. I think uh, the reason I chose Southampton really was because I was looking at um, looking at the the options, and I think I was close to picking Leicester. Obviously, they've had a great season. Uh, currently, third in the Premier League as things stand, um, and have had some really really great players. But I think Leicester's success is more actually if anything, a sign of continued evolution. They've had some uh, extra funds that have come in from their Champions League appearance and their title win, which have allowed them to build on. With Southampton, it's very much, obviously, after losing Pochettino, they've slipped in quality slightly. Uh, They haven't quite returned to that uh, European zenith that they they were once at uh, under him. And uh, it's a case of they've had to rebuild a few times after players have, have been sold. Obviously, Virgil van Dijk, probably the most recent example, but in the past, Adam Lallana, um, Ricky Lambert, and then players like Nathaniel Klein as well. And and Dusan Tadic, obviously, who moved to Ajax and has done very well there. I think um, with Southampton, for me, the reason they're my surprise package is because they've had such a weird season, in a way, in that they started out so poorly... Uh, the defence was an absolute shambles. Obviously, conceding nine goals to Leicester was definitely the, the weakest point in that, but it wasn't uh, a singular blemish. Obviously, a defeat of that margin is always going to be a standout point of the season, but you know they were conceding games due to poorly conceded goals uh, on a frequent basis. And instead of the boards, as is often the case in the Premier League, turning around to the manager and saying, clearly this isn't working out, you need to move on, we're going to hire someone else and they're going to improve our fortunes, we'll get the new manager bounce, bring in a Tony Pulis or someone like that. Instead, they they stuck with the ideology that they had with Ralph Hasenhüttl. Um, they backed the manager and they said to the players, actually, if anything, uh, in January, we're going to ship you guys onwards if you're not performing and we're going to support the manager. And I actually think that in a way was quite a commendable action because for starters, it's paid dividends because they think their playing style, uh, since Hasenhüttl has made the changes that he's been allowed to make, has has improved and obviously the results on the pitch have definitely improved as well and their leaky defence has improved too players like Danny Ings have hit form um, but also because it's an option the Premier League teams don't often look to they often look to you know I was talking earlier about financial security and about Sheffield United and, and sort of throwing money at a problem often Premier League teams will just try and uh, make some marquee signings or, or go the obvious route and bring in a proven Premier League manager someone like Tony Pulis or a Mark Hughes and, you know, I'd question at this point, are they really proven Premier League managers? I think Hassan Hüttel coming in at Southampton has been fantastic for them. And 
I think it's it's a bit like what I was talking earlier about Chris Wilder at, at Sheffield United. What they've allowed him to do is implement a clear playing structure there and a clear tactic, which has worked. Um, a clear strategy, I should say, rather than tactic. He's changed the tactics. The strategies remain the same. And that can only come with the backing of the board. And I think that was very refreshing to see in modern football. So that's why they're my surprise package this season. And not just because of results on the pitch, but also because of a really sensible decision off it. Yeah, I, I think the way that the players at Southampton responded to the board's reaction to that 9-0 loss, where the board said, we will back Hassan Hattel to the hilt and you, the players, will either be with us or you'll be sold is really commendable on their part as well because they haven't they didn't have a massive squad overhaul in January it's mostly the same squad that was playing when they played against Leicester with a few squad rotation tweaks which just shows that that band of players at Southampton have they've really rallied together under Hassan Hootel's banner and shown that they have the passion and the fight to play for that club and I feel on their part, that's really commendable, that the fact that they've managed to band together and show what they can do. But looking forward for Southampton, they've obviously managed to clear their way out of the relegation fight, now sitting in 14th in the league, almost 10 points clear of the drop. But looking ahead to next season, if and when it comes to fruition. What do you think Southampton's next steps are? What do you think they should be looking to do to build on Hassan Hootel's turnaround that he's had in the second half of the season? Well, I think they could maybe look to bring in more strength and depth in their forward line. I think Shane Long and um, and Danny Ings have obviously been quite a good partnership there, but I think obviously neither of those players are probably Danny Ings is at the peak of his career now but Shane Long's probably a bit past that they could do with some more depth in their forward line I think because they don't want to be reliant on Danny Ings for goals um, that has been the case maybe at times this season um, and I think yeah depth is generally the key for Southampton I think they could do with adding in a few areas of quality but really actually at this point I think it's a case of it's almost not perhaps a Sheffield United sort of level but they do have more of an established playing squad now um, and they can look to bring in people that are only going to increase their quality in some key areas on the field. So maybe not even, you know, looking at target areas because I can't see an obvious area of weakness. Maybe more just looking to bring in some some marquee signings to improve things overall. But obviously, that will depend on how they fit into Ralph Hussenhutl's uh, playing style, which I think is the most important thing. They're going to sign on, on on that strategy rather than just signing players for a name or for a, because of uh, some appearances at an international tournament, which obviously isn't going to be the case this year. But you know, might have been the case for Premier League teams in the past. And speaking of players that have been good under Hassan Hootel, there's one real standout name, and that is Danny Ings. He has shown this season that he does still have the talent in him that drew Liverpool to pick him up out of Burnley a few years ago. But do you think that his form this season is a one-off or do you think that he can carry this on into next year and continue being a 15, maybe even 20 goal a season Premier League striker? Um, I think absolutely he can. Um, 
I think actually the thing with Danny Ings is more that it's taken him a long time to uh, recover from injuries in the past and it's taken him a long time to um, sort of get established again as a Premier League si- uh, Premier League striker after a lot of early promise at Burnley. I thought, you know, when I saw him playing with that in that Burnley team with Kieran Trippier at right back and Danny Ings and Sam Vokes uh, leading the line, for me, Ings and Trippier were the two players that were going to go on for me and play for England, quite simply. I thought Ings looked fantastic in that side. I thought he was a really dynamic striker. He had great footballing intelligence as well, always looking to make the clever run to get in behind or drop short for the ball and uh, complete a quick little interchange of passes. I think he had a great footballing mind. I think with that injury that he then had, or the string of injuries that he's had um, over the last couple of years, that's seen him in a really, really uh, unlucky way lose some form and fail to really get established, especially at Liverpool, which I think was a big shame too, because I think um, I was saying, actually, I think there was a time when uh, both James Milner and Danny Ings were both out of contracts. And I was saying, if those two players that are Jurgen Klopp um, all over, Danny Ings and James Milner would be those from an English perspective. Uh, and I was really looking forward to seeing how they were going to do there um, when they did sign for Klopp at Liverpool. And obviously James Milner has kicked on, Danny Ings less so. Um, but it's great to see him now at a mid-table club where I think he's got a team more built around him. Um, as I said earlier, they do rely on him for goals, which is probably not a situation... As a striker, you maybe don't even want to be in that situation. You want to have a bit of support. But it's great that he's valued there, and I think that's really important. They clearly um, pin a lot of hope on him. As I said earlier, they'll want to make sure that they have more depth up front because they can't be reliant on that one uh, strike, uh, st- striking player. Um, but uh, yeah, he's so important to them to answer your question. He's so important and I think he will go on to have another good season barring injury next season. Obviously, that's something that can recur. But if he stays fit, I'd see no reason why he can't kick on now and become a a regular Premier League goal scorer in maybe the same mould of Jermaine Defoe, for example. Southampton in the past have been famed for their academy products, um, namely Gareth Bale, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, Callum Chambers, Luke Shaw, just to name a few. And they generally tend to go on to bigger and better things, making a lot of money for the club. But the standout academy product of late, James Ward-Prowse, has actually stuck around, even though he's only 24 years old. He's still plugging it out at Southampton and is their vice-captain now. What do you think lies in the future for Ward-Prowse? Do you think he'll stick it out at Southampton or make a move to somewhere else? Southampton's academy has long produced fantastic players, all the way back to Gareth Bale. Um... I, th- I think, you know, if if unless there's been a drastic change there, that will continue. They have a massive catchment area as well, being one of the um, most established teams in the south of England. Um, I remember, you know, growing up in Reading, they were scouting some of my friends actually um, growing up in Reading. So that gives you an idea of how far their network should reach. Um, and if that hasn't changed, undoubtedly, key players will continue to come through from their academy. James Ward-Prowse, I think, is a is a great midfielder at Premier League level. I think he's obviously got skill over a dead ball. He's a fantastic um, passer of the ball too. And also, I think he's added a bit more to his game in the last couple of seasons. Um, you know, he, he's much less of a sort of Paul Scholes slide tackle and a yellow card sort of uh, midfielder. He's much more of a, a bit more box-to-box in his style now and, and can actually um, make a tackle and has a bit more of a defensive side to his game, which I think, you know, in the Premier League, is so, so important, um, unless you really are a fantastic uh, dead ball specialist. Um, I think at the same time, though, he's still someone for me that isn't quite on the level of maybe the England setup. Uh, I think he's key for Southampton, but I think that maybe is his level. Um, obviously, he could totally prove me wrong. 
um, and all power to him to do that. But I think, yeah, I don't see him actually moving to a bigger team at the moment because I think he's almost maybe missed the boat on that one because I think injuries again have have meant that he's been out of the side for uh, for times um, when uh, maybe key times in his career. And I think also, you know, right now, even though he's one of the Southampton's key players, I still don't think he's been sort of ripping the world alight in the way that he would need to to secure a move to a, a much bigger team for it to be worth it. Because I think the way I see it now, you've got the big six and maybe seven in the Premier League with Leicester and, and maybe Wolves adding to that pile. Unless one of those was to come in for him, I don't think there'll be any point moving elsewhere because for me, Southampton are a solid team. And I can't see any of those teams moving for him either because, I mean, at the moment, they're going to look abroad for talent, um, as they always do. <laughs> and uh, I also think... Um, you know, I can't, I can't see them spending so much money on what would be an English player. They would have to pay the English player tax, wouldn't they, to bring in someone like James Ward-Prowse. So I think he will be at Southampton for the foreseeable future and he'll continue to be good for them for the foreseeable future. And Harry, what do you think of Southampton's fall and then rise this season? Um, I think Southampton have done well to turn around since uh, that game against Leicester earlier in the season. Um, now you can put that down to Leicester being very good, but Southampton were atrocious at the same time. Um, I think uh, Westy's right. You know they did a they did a good job in you know giving Hasenhutl the backing he needed rather than backing player power, um, and they've managed to push out players who just you know maybe they're good players but um, decided don't they're not for our team. I think Cedric Suarez being one, he's one of their best players, but just nope, we're just going to put him on loan to Arsenal. We we don't want him here. Um, and they have the Gabonese midfielder uh, Mario Lamina who's uh, playing in the Turkish league on loan at the moment, who was meant to be one of the best up- upcoming stars uh, for midfielders in Europe a couple of seasons ago. Uh, now just, you know, he's been shipped off elsewhere. Mainly, I think, I from what I've heard, from ego reasons rather than uh, performance reasons. Um, so I think the setup they've got at the moment is good. I think they need to rebuild and rethink their approach just a bit before they can start thinking of pushing up the table a bit more to those heights that they were a couple of seasons ago when they were playing in the Europa League. And coming towards you once again, Alex, as we have done with the other teams today, we've looked forward and discussed what they could do, what one signing they could make that would allow them to continue their forwards momentum going into next season. And I want to know what you think would be one key signing for Southampton that would allow them to continue their upwards charge under Hassan Huttel and perhaps break into the top 10 next year. So it's an interesting one. I think it would have to be someone that fits Hassan Huttel's playing style. Um, and I think one thing they've been, whilst I said they've shored up their defence, I still think they could do with a bit more depth and quality there, maybe a centre-half. Um, so for me, if I was Southampton, I'd be in the market for a ball-playing centre-half who's also defensively solid. Um, having said that, there aren't many of those players around and that might be a bit of their price range. I probably couldn't name someone specific because I think one thing that Southampton have done really well over the years is they've scouted in maybe areas that aren't so obvious. They've brought in players that aren't always uh, on everyone's radar um, and they do have a really good network. So. For me, I mean, I think the, the next best signing for Southampton is probably someone that none of us will have heard of at this point, or maybe has just appeared on people's radars this season. It'll be someone like that. Um, 
But I think, you know, with Southampton, they seem to be making a name for themselves as this team that will do that constantly with players and develop them and then bring them through and then they'll get sold onto Liverpool. And, uh, you know, I think that's uh, I think that's a model that has worked and I think that will probably continue for them for the foreseeable future. And I look forward to it as well. It's always great to watch Southampton because there's always someone playing for them who you see and you think, oh, that's interesting. Um, you know, that's a really top quality Premier League player that they've discovered there who, you know, you had no idea of six months before. So, yeah, for that for that reason, I have a bit of a soft spot for Southampton. For I have a bit of a soft spot for Southampton, and yeah, I hope they continue to do that. So your my answer is no. I haven't got a marquee player for you, Alex. But that's not really how Southampton work, I guess. Can I can I jump in? Go ahead. I was going to say the one thing they might want to look at is actually pinching people from relegated clubs this season because there's going to be some quality that get relegated. I think um, you look at Norwich, Timmy Puki. Um, who's the other Norwich player that everyone's been raving about and I've remembered. Cantwell, he'll probably go to a bigger team. Um, but then Villa, obviously Grealish will go to a top team. Tyrone Mings, he could go anywhere. He really has got a, a free pass to go to any team he wants to if he tried. Um, and then you look around, who's, who are the other team? Bournemouth? I mean, oh, you don't know. But there's a few teams around that bottom three who, if they got relegated... Clubs are going to be, you know, like Ravens and Vultures, just, you know, picking them up for cheap. And as we come towards the end of this bit on Southampton, Alex, I want to know what you think they should be aiming for next season as their next step. Where do you think they can... What's a realistic target for Southampton in the Premier League next season? I mean, in the Premier League, if you're any anywhere below that top six, I think it probably has to be survival first and then everything else later. But I think also, you know, it's it's multi-layered, isn't it? Survival is an essential target. And then I think also, like, as an aspirational target, they could potentially uh, aim to, especially with the form they finished this season with, or not finished as, it, as it's transpired, but, you know, they could look to kick on to maybe challenging for European spots. Maybe not in them, but, uh, you know, at least to give teams like Leicester and Wolves and Spurs a run for their money. And with that, we come to an end of this episode of A Beautiful Pod. Thanks to Harry Dennis. Messy Buckets. And Alex West. Cheers for having me, mate. For coming on the show. And we'll be back in two weeks' time discussing something we haven't decided yet. The show premieres every other Saturday at 3pm on uoi.org.uk and after each episode is aired, it's available as live on the ONTAP part of the site or in a slightly longer cut form under podcasts. If you want to get in touch, you can follow at UOI News on Twitter as well as the general UOI account at UOI1350 for more lovely UOI content. Thank you very much for listening and we'll be back next week to get you your football fix.